Welcome to Fright School. Are you ready? Class is in session. That was gorgeous, and <laughs> it, it's nice for our our, our dear listener to um, hear something different to kick off the episode. Yes, welcome back to Fright School. Hello, Joe. Yes, Joshua. Hello. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm glad that you took. Uh, you know, it's good to warm up your vocals. You know, before a performance. Mm-hmm. So I'm I'm enjoying that. Uh, you know. That was very nice. A clearing uh, of, of a blockage, perhaps. <laughs> yes. <laughs> a, very, a physical blockage, a spiritual blockage. All of it. Well, All anyways, of the blockages. Lovely to uh, see you again through my flat thing here on the, mm-hmm. you know. <laughs> through the nightmare through the <laughs> nightmare mirror. Right, the nightmare rectangle. Yes, the, this black uh, mirror. Yes. Uh, it's good to see you again. Um, how are you doing? Um, relevant, you know, as we've said before, relevant to the, the low, low bar. Yeah. Relevant to the low bar. I mean, relative, I mean, relative to the low, relative bar. to the low bar. <laughs> <laughs> we have forgotten how to speak words. Um, yeah. I am I do doing a lot of relatives that are low bars, low, low, low <laughs> bars. Um, so low, so 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 very very low, uh, but that's not what we're here to discuss today. Uh, take that over to relatively sane with Jessica Kirsten, and you can uh, <laughs> Jessica Kirsten, however you say it, I can't remember. But anyway, and I like her, and I can't even think about how you say her name. But anyways, deal with that stuff over on that podcast, not here. We're here to talk horror. Are you horrified, Joe? <laughs> I am. I'm horrified. Um, I'm horrified because I. I did. Um, uh, the The listener may not know, but I, I do not. Uh, I do not typically in, engage in alcoholic activities. Mm-hmm. I don't typically engage in in the drink. Uh, but I thought, why the hef- why the heck not last night? And so I did um, have two large glasses of rosé, and um, my poor body is feeling it today. Because uh, not because I am thirty one years old, <laughs> and uh, I don't usually drink. So, I mean, I'm not hungover by any means, but I do have like you know a nascent headache. So there you go on some rosé because she is <laughs> a white woman, white woman feeling it. I'm the, a white feeling woman. the fantasy exactly. <laughs> I own everything, you know. You own I all. own fifty-one percent of this company right That's here. Right. <laughs> yeah. I just love the idea of how many glasses did you have? I had two, but they were like you know they were white lady pores, so they were like you know a little more than half the glass. Lord have mercy. <laughs> I just love that idea. I love that I could take you out somewhere and buy you two glasses of champagne and you'll be wasted. <laughs> so much that it's wasted you on Sunday morning. Like, oh, I'm so hungover. I had two. Count I mean, two. I'm not. 
two half glasses of rosé. <laughs> I was definitely more chatty um, than usual last night. Right. Everybody's like, oh my God, will he shut up? What is he talking he about? He needs to shut that half up. Um, <laughs> but then this morning I was like, oh, that's right. Because like, you know, I need to drink water. Mm-hmm. And all those things. I'm like, why do I feel so tired? Why do I feel so dehydrated? Do I have Rona? I'm like, no, I just have two rosés deep. This is why I don't, this is why I don't drink people. I like to have all my faculties. I like to bring you fresh content from a fresh mind. Ah, man. I just, I don't even know what that's like. I think if I had two (laughs) glasses of rosé, I would just, you know, nothing would happen. (laughs) <laughs> it would just it'd be like water. It just exactly. It would be like water. I think <laughs> that's what I do. I drink my usual, you know, liquor, and I hydrate with rosé. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. How some people can do that. They can have like you know, they'll have like a beer, a whiskey, and then like a white claw. Um, oh, yeah, and I'm like, dang. As that's expert level, but you know, I might start working. I mean, to, I mean, that's probably less than expert level to me, but um, I might start working in like maybe a glass of wine or two a week just because, you know, if you weren't drinking before the pandemic. Like, <laughs> well, yeah, a nice glass of wine with dinner. It's lovely. You exactly. Know. A little, little wine with din-dins. So... What's been going on this week? You watching anything fun? Um, I did. So I had a, the reason why I had the rosé was I was also celebrating like a socially distant movie night. Cool. Um, And um, it's really, it was really great because like the friends that I went to their house, they have like this nice big backyard, not unlike yourself. Um, And they have like, they have a really cool setup for their outdoor screen and everything. And so- Um, and so for the first time I watched Waiting to Exhale, um, and Mr. Jimmy Kins was with me as well. He'd also never seen it. And, um, did you double feature it with What's Love Got to Do With It? No, we didn't. That's what Um, I would do. I would have a night of that. And actually I'd make it a triple. I would watch Waiting to Exhale, set it off, and What's Love Got to Do With It. And uh, you would just leave the house enraged. (laughs) Ready to burn, burn it down, take on uh, white supremacy and patriarchy. But anyway, See, so when I you do exhale, you watch that. Oh, and how, did it, and if, how did it make you I feel? Was, if I was to do a double feature, though, I would have paired waiting to exhale with steel magnolias. Oh, and then we can there have you go. A, a Loretta Divine versus uh, Dolly Parton, like cinematic hairdressers. Okay. Like that's that's what I would have done. That's what um, Okay, I see. That's a nice link. Lovely. But um it was good. It was fun. Um I mean, I drank rosé and it was delicious. <laughs> You're never going to stop talking about this rosé. You know, it's called the rosé that I I drank is called Whispering Angel. Oh. Um, because, you know, if it's going to be um, if it's if you're going to drink rosé, you might as well drink something with the like most gay sounding name. Um, yeah, and it was Why like not? an angel did whisper to me, um, <laughs> sound asleep, and it was not to uh, 
drink more water, obviously. It was not to drink more water, no. Um, so that's what I've all been doing that's, this morning. We, we ordered out for breakfast, and now we're, um, we're just drinking water. Nice. Yeah, it was nice. It was good. What have you been doing this week? Uh, you know, not a whole lot. Obviously, you know, I'm working, a lot of working, uh, trying to mm-hmm. plot and plan my next steps with my life, what the hell I'm going to do. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we did watch Nurse Ratched the first episode. We're going to watch mm-hmm. more of that today, uh, later today after I do this. So let's, uh, let's hurry up. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, but it was very interesting. Have you had a chance to look at it yet? No, I don't think I will watch it. Um, I, I'm not of. I've, I've not seen the film uh, Cuckoo's Nest, but I have read the novel, and I'm not. And it's not my fave, but you know, I don't it have. Is, I don't read. So. Yeah, no, it is. It's very far from that. In fact, like I mean, it's definitely failing in my personal opinion on the front of being like a nurse ratchet origin story. Uh, mm-hmm. It's more like um, Asylum, you know, it's very Ryan Murphy, very um, Ryan McMurphy, may even. Um, mm. oh. <laughs> no, stop it. That was not, that was not that cute. Um, but, <laughs> but, uh, you know, beautiful sets, gorgeous. I, I'm enjoying it for like, just, it's very campy. I kept remarking while we're watching it. I'm like, I feel like I'm watching a lost Joan Crawford film. You know, like if she had seen this, she'd been like, that was my pot. You know, she would have wanted to uh, to do this. Um, but I am a fan of One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, book, play, mm-hmm. film, whatever. Uh, and so Jeffrey and I were discussing this morning that, you know, the, the issue is, is that they've, you know, they're taking Ratchet. Uh, so sorry, spoilers as always, dear listener. Um, but I mean, you can get this kind of from the trailer is that, you know, she's this, um, person who's obviously like already kind of sociopathic Mm -hmm. in a way, like there's something going on with her where she's kind of fucked up in the head and she, you know, so they're kind of setting that up, um, you know, that she's manipulative and, you know, um, some, she's off. Whereas... And, and Jeffrey and I, we were just talking about this this morning, that that the the book, like her part in the book and in uh, the film, she's more, she probably didn't, wasn't a bad person, quote unquote. You know, it's just that she's worked a long time. She sort of has come to, you know, uh, embody like the bureaucracy and it's kind of forgotten the humanity of her patients, you know? So it's like, she's mm-hmm. siding more with the institutionalized brutality rather than trying to actually help her people. And not that necessarily she's this evil creature. It's just, she's become evil because she is abandoned, you know, her humanity in favor of institutions. And that is sort yeah. of like, mm-hmm. that's what one flow of the cuckoo's nest is about. It's not about a bunch of guys in a mental institution. It, even though it is on the surface, but you know, bigger than that, it's about the ways we are all living in this society that forces us into a very specific box. And if you are not in that box, then you need to be corrected and you need to be sent somewhere where you will be fixed 
you know, so that you can then go back out into society and operate like a quote unquote normal person should. And again, mm-hmm. that default is always, you know, the way white, the white supremacist hetero patriarchy expects people to behave and what they have deemed as normal, you know? So like, that's what the story is about and how she is, you know, the power structure in the novel that represents that and keeps people in line. Um, along with talking kind of about the ways that white women participate in white supremacy and hold up the patriarchy, which we will talk about when we get to today's mm-hmm. film. Mm-hmm, but, mm-hmm. You know, so it's like, I don't know, I think it's kind of undermining itself in a way. You know, it's undermining Mm -hmm. what the book is about um, in favor of sort of campy horror fun, which I'm here for. I'm I'm enjoying it thoroughly, you know, but if it's, again, like The Shining, we all love The Shining. Is it a good, it gets an F for for, um, Stephen King adaptation, (laughs) you know, but it's a great film, you know, so it's like, I'm enjoying it, but it does, it it bears little resemblance to, I think, what the book and what her character Mm -hmm. was meant to represent. And again, maybe that's a boring story where you just show a nurse progressing through life and getting, you know, becoming more and more inhumane because of bureaucracy. Maybe that's not as fun as gorgeous colors and boiling people alive. Uh, it did, it, it did allow me to have a really interesting conversation with a coworker who texted me. She's like, you're watching Ratchet, right? I'm like, yeah, of course I am. And she goes, mm-hmm. apparently it was illegal. Like lesbianism was like a disorder in the forties. I'm like, oh honey. So I like <laughs> gave her this, like, <laughs> we're like going back and forth. I'm giving her a whole like rundown on psychiatry and like, you know, and, and, and homosexuality. And it's like, yeah, it wasn't until 73, that we were stopped being considered having a disorder. Uh, so yeah, um, that's just the start. And that's in the was it, that's in the U.S. right? Because there's plenty of places in the world where you know. Yes, of course. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I was talking about. I did. I did specify American psychiatry, the DSM. Mm-hmm. You know those things that are built by. Well, I mean that's. I mean lots of people contribute, but still the the guidebook that we have to to. Um, diagnose people, you know, didn't remove homosexuality until the seventies, uh, mm-hmm. which kind of, you know, she's like, wow, what? You know, so it was, it was kind of fun to have this sort of enlightening conversation. So hopefully other people that watch it also learn that and know like, you know, we're not, we're fighting some very entrenched things. I mean, there are psychiatrists and doctors working now who are older, who still like that, you know, that's what they learned. And um, even though it's wrong, it doesn't mean that they're not still practicing with some, you know, false ideas yeah there's some bias there some very big bias there yeah you know and lobotomies and all kinds of other horrible things that you know we did like we talked about with asylum american horror story like those things you know the things in it are like we're very real and so the things we're seeing in ratchet the the ways that are treat the treatments uh, were very real and mm-hmm. it's not that long ago really in the context of 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 uh of life, you know, and yeah, of the continuum absolutely. we're on. So anyways, that's kind of my long winded thing that I am enjoying ratchet. I recommend it. It's fun. Um, we need more fun. It's beautiful to look at. Uh, but yeah, you're definitely, I'm not sure Ken, um, um, uh, Kesey, Casey would approve. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I read, um, I read, uh, one flew of the cuckoo's nest in college in a class, a literature class, that was themed around youth culture. Mm. So the idea of the idea that like the concept of like youth is very, the youth as a demographic, as a culture is very new, like 1950s. 
right, uh, mm-hmm. and all of that stuff. And so, um, I think part of my part of the reason why I didn't uh, like the novel was the fact that, like, at the time, I really I was like, I don't understand what this has to do with youth culture. Mm. Um, and it wasn't until you know lecture I was like made it clear, but I wanted to read like I wanted like true true stuff about youth culture and then we you know which progressed to like gen x then we read fright uh fright school we read um uh (laughs) fight club uh uh fight club and all that so but yeah so in the same class yeah so we awesome yeah i would definitely pair one flow of the cuckoo's nest with fight club that's a good there's some very there's some very interesting conversations that could be had oh yeah the, the class itself was very was very cool and the the professor was kind of like this like old hippie type dude um and Aren't they all <laughs> I know but like this one specifically like I think he had taken a few electric Kool-Aid acid tests in the past oh, nice. um but <laughs> it wasn't until like I really started getting into the class towards the end because that's when cuz we reread Fight Club and then like we had this like very um, robust conversation about Gen X for like, which to millennial, um, you know, to a millennial, most mainly millennial uh, uh, student, student class um, was really interesting. The kind of conversations that came out of that. Yeah. Yeah. No, I would so, like to have been a fly on the wall for that. Cause yeah, I, was, oh, I could definitely see how those would pair well, you know, and then maybe throw yeah. in like portraits of a, of the artist as a young man. Mm-hmm. Um, by Joyce, is that who wrote that? Um, I'm sure there's some Kurt Vonnegut you could throw in there. <laughs> we did, we did read Vonnegut. Oh, Catcher in the Rye would actually be a good. I, I would throw that in with that class too. Oddly enough, we didn't read Catcher in the Rye, um, which I think was like a very deliberate editorial choice on yeah, the, on the professor. Yeah, um, we watched um, Blackboard Jungle with a young Sydney Poitier, yeah. um, which is supposed to be like the first like youth culture film because we talked right. to, and that's, and you know again like i'm more of a film person so blackboard jungle um rebel without a cause those sorts of things i was like yeah absolutely give me give me dims i would throw you know what i would also throw in there just because i'm me if i was gonna if that was me it's like one flow of the cuckoo's nest fight club and i would also throw in Susanna Kaysen's girl interrupted memoir Mm, because mm-hmm. that's kind of, that's really about like that as well like being a young woman in the 60s and like i want to be a writer oh my god she has a mental illness you know <laughs> which i mean mm. she did she i mean she was sick uh, you know she did have you know um challenges and things that you know but again like is that because she was a woman in the 60s being told she was crazy because she wanted to be a writer <laughs> um you know, so it's mm-hmm, like, mm-hmm. I, I would, I would put something, I would put that in there too. Cause there's a lot of very interesting discussions about like that whole time period of change and what was expected of women, you know? And again, what's ex- with those books, like what's expected of men, what does it mean to be a man in this society and how much of it is, you know, construct and, um, you know, the psychic mutilation that bell hooks mm-hmm. talks about. Oh, look at us. This is a very fun educational moment. I know what a it's such a first for us. <laughs> Academic conversation that I'm sure our, our dear listeners furiously taking notes. Yeah. Um, <laughs> 
did you watch anything fun? Um, oh man, that Mulan made like two hundred million dollars. So good, good yeah. for them. Good for them. Um, yeah, felt yeah, definitely felt a little guilty afterwards reading all of the stuff about like you know why you shouldn't be watching Mulan. Um, besides like the blatant capitalism of it. Right, um, right, right, right. But, um, I haven't followed too much. I mean, I've seen some of the stuff with like the star and siding with like police brutality or something. I mean, again, I'm all, I've only, mm-hmm. I only saw like the, uh, clickbait headlines. So I don't have like a mm-hmm. really clear understanding again, you know, as, as has been well documented on this show, I'm not a big Disney follower. I know Mulan, obviously the story of her is way bigger than Disney, but that's what we're discussing Mm -hmm. is a Disney adaptation. So I I haven't paid too much attention uh, to it. Um, Although I do think maybe you should send me your uh, Disney plus login and then I can, (laughs) we can just watch it. (laughs) You can just watch it and you can, you you know, that's where we watch the scenes with Gong Lee and then turn it off. (laughs) (laughs) Oh God, there's, yeah, I mean, no, it's going to be available. I think December 4th or something. It'll be available. Um, yes. In December, I really wanted, I think I would pair, uh, Mulan, this Mulan, with uh, um, the Mummy Three, um, the Tomb of the Dragon Emperor, with Jet Li as well, where he plays the 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 in Mummy Dragon Emperor, and it has Michelle Yeoh as an immortal sorceress. Like again, I'm all about like, and you know, I'm here for an it. East Asian sorceress, <laughs> right? Um, yeah. but anyway, so it made but, a ton of money. So there you made go, a ton of money. I haven't watched anything other than, um, you know, I just haven't watched anything other than just like we've been, uh, Jimmy Kins and I have been watching Boy Meets World. Okay. The original series, are, right? The original. Um, I'm doing what, it uh, in Boy Meets Antis- World. Because I want A Girl they Meets reboot? World. Oh, that's what it was. Okay. Sorry. Go ahead. So I'm watching Boy Meets World all the way through so that way I can start Girl Meets World and see how awful it is because it's it it's heavy on the Disney treatment at that point. Um and then um we've also been doing a lot of throwback Disney movies too, which is nice because there's there's a fair amount of of classic Disney films that I have never seen. Yeah. Um I've never seen we just finished watching Lady and the Tramp over breakfast. Um, I'd never seen Aristocats. Um, it was, it's, it's been really nice to sword in the stone, never seen sword of the stone. So we've been, uh, we've been just watching all these things and it's been, you know, it's been pleasant. Nice. Well, I'm happy for you. You know, we got to find a way to find a little joy in the, in, in impending doom. Yes. That's yeah. all we. Oh have. my gosh! All we need to discuss the, you know, um, the death of uh, the notorious RBG. RBG. <laughs> Sorry, my brain just died. Did you see that? Did you <laughs> see that happen on my face? <laughs> RBG. Did you have two glasses of rosé as well? And oh gosh, this is and so sad. Anyways, Joshua. But, um, yeah, that was you know. That was very shocking. shocking news to come through. I mean, not shocking, shocking. I mean, she was 87 and, 
you know, we know that she's had health uh, concerns, you know, there's been a few scares. So it's not like I was that surprised. Um, but I have kind of tried to stay off Facebook because it's on fire uh, again. <laughs> As always, you know, because I have like, I don't have a lot of right wing friends, obviously, Um, Mm -hmm. none that I really know of, I should say family members. Yes, Mm -hmm. who I keep on muted and blocked or I'm not friends with at all. Uh, But I have a lot of extremely radical left friends. And I've got a lot of neoliberal friends and they, you know, see the world very, very differently, even if the right wing wants to lump them all together. Um, I think it was Professor TJ posted, like, if you think like the left, you know, is like all on the same page, like you've obviously never been in the room with, you know, two of them or more, Mm -hmm. (laughs) because, you know, everybody sees things very differently. So, you know, I'm kind of seeing this thing where it's just lots of fighting and arguing, among, you know, among left-leaning liberal people about her legacy and what she should and shouldn't have done. And, um, you know, we should dismantle and take apart the Supreme Court and the whole rest of the government. And, like, what are we going to do, you know, practically with her replacement? Uh, So, anyways, it's just been a horror show on Facebook that I'm Mm -hmm. just kind of been staying out of. And good for you. Good for you to do that. Um, just, I, I'm just in a place where it's like my brain, I'm, I've got enough going on in my life that I can't, the stress of it, of watching all my friends tear each other apart in the comment sections. I understand <laughs> what she means to people and oh, specifically 100%. to, absolutely. Uh, you know, I mean, to, and her place and, you know, again, like the idea that like, you know, people's rights were, you know, if it was not for her deciding with a majority opinion on the court, you know, there would be that people would have no rights. Certain people have no rights um, or less rights than I should say a uh, fewer rights than a white cis man. Um, Right. But when I, when that happened, I was like, I had the initial like, Oh shit, she died. And then I like, was complete kind of completely numb for like i'm right. just like it wasn't um because it's just like what else can you do to us this year do you know right. what i mean <laughs> like there there's there's not much more and i side more with the people who like i'm i'm like refusing to buy into the like we're fucked type thing like i i don't think that's helpful as yeah, true as it is, yeah. it, well, as true as it is, like, as true as it may feel, and that's the other thing, too, is that, like, I'm not going to argue because if that's how someone feel, re- truly feels and they feel like this existential depression, I'm going to let them have their feelings, but yeah. I'm not going to, like, but I personally just cannot engage with that because yeah. I, like, I don't see, for me, I don't understand how that is helpful to just kind of dread with no action. Like I would rather not feel any, I would rather just kind of like, okay, well, you know, and then the, the one thing that kind of did spark some emotion in me was the, I think it was, it's one of the Twitter screenshots that's going around and it's um, talking about how like, wow, it's very difficult to be a woman because even her death was seen as a failure. 
Like, right. like she works so hard and like, you know, death itself is not a rest. It's a failure because now we're all fucked. And it's just like, that's true. Like that was, there's, we put a lot on that, but you know. Exactly. Yeah. And that's yeah. one of the, one of the very few articles I shared was from, um, a, you know, a socialist and radical uh, left person that I do have a lot of respect for. I have, you know, a book she wrote called uh, Sexuality and Socialism, Sherry J. Wolf, where it wasn't exactly what you're saying, but she's like, we all need to stop and kind of stand back and look at a culture, at a society, at a system where we are putting so much on the life of one 87-year-old woman. Um, and mm-hmm. if if all hell breaking loose is hinging on that, like, we have a bigger problem, you know? Yeah. And again, you know, but of course also criticizing just the whole thing, like, not even about Ruth herself, but the whole, you know, the whole system of the Supreme Court and, you know, nine rich, you know, people deciding the fate of all, you know, like, yeah. and, and there's been plenty of things that they've upheld that were white supremacist or in the interest of the wealthy. And that, you know, there, there is lots to criticize and there is lots to have conversations about, but you're right. Yeah. Like putting everything on this one woman to like live forever, you know, it's just, that's really fucked up. Yeah. And I, I, I'm also like, I'm also like very deeply culturally like a person who, like people th- like you need a morning period like you need to like cover the mirrors rent your garments and you know sit shiva for you know the that time in order to kind of move forward um and so to like you know I, again like her as a political figure um you know living in this very charged living in a very charged time like of course her death is going to be very politicized but like you know, right. I'm also a person where it's just like, give people a chance to mourn. Um, right. And, you know, mourn in whatever way that means. And Absolutely. You know, that's why I like... No, and yeah. I do agree with that because I do have, you know, plenty of really awesome women, you know, that I know and that I respect their thoughts and who are, who are grieving and who are thinking of this from a place that I don't understand, especially, well, I mean, I understand and I have empathy, but not real, not real world consequence having been yeah. born a man, um, having been born a white man for all intents and purposes, you know? So mm-hmm. it's like, I don't want to, you know, step on that either, but I just think as always, there's room for everything. There's room for everyone uh, to have engage in dialogue and have difficult conversations and yeah. mourn and also, have you know what are we going to do what are the next steps how do we how do we save ourselves from the cult of trump and (laughs) neo-nazis yeah yeah and it's like yeah because we're you know again it's i'm also like i have i very mixed feelings about like people who i have very mixed feelings about people who idolize people in this way who like deify them right um in deify these human beings in this way because that's also you know that's a form of dehumanization um but like i i i feel i have very strong reactions to like you know people who automatically post like they're not the best like you know here's this figure who died 
oh, but here's all of the 10 shitty things that she did mm-hmm. <laughs> as well. And it's like, yes, that's good to know. Like I, like, you know, you want to have, you want to have a whole, like, this is a human being that was very com- like human beings are very complex. So you right, want right, to know right. that. Um, but like, sometimes I feel like when people post that shit, I'm just like, are you like literally trying to like have people come for you? Like, or like, you know what? It, I don't understand the purpose sometimes yeah. because it's okay to talk about like, you know, the whole human being being very complex, but sometimes like, I always wonder about intent. Like, are you doing this just to troll people? Are you doing this? Doing it for the likes. <laughs> are you doing it for the doing likes? For the, are you, the, the reactions. <laughs> for the outrage? Like, you know, right. I don't know. I mean, that, again, but like, again, I can't control people's intent. Right. So. Yeah. Yeah. It's all complicated. Well, we're definitely not going to solve it here today. Um, no. Between us. And, so. and as, uh, you know, we'll talk, I mean, we'll talk in a minute about how nothing is happening. <laughs> right, right. Um, all right, well, we'll take a quick break, and we are going to be back uh, to give our uh, reviews, our initial thoughts on Antebellum, which was just released. Uh, please know we are going to spoil the shit out of it. So... Uh, Pause here, yeah. <laughs> or if so, you don't care, <laughs> yeah, if you don't care, but pause, pause right now and go watch it, um, or like wait a couple months when the rental is you know five dollars instead of nineteen, exactly. <laughs> and then you know come back to this. Um, All right, well, we'll be right back. That's why I don't have sex. It's not because of my face or my general attitude towards human beings. The thing is that they don't refer to any of these things as murders, which is the most amazing part. It's always referred to as a disappearance. There's fucking blood filling the back of a truck. That was certainly nice of me, wasn't it? Huh? Same set as Castle. Um, what? Is that really? No, but I would believe it, actually. That wouldn't shock me. I can't imagine that there's a ton of castles that Charles Band has at his disposal. <laughs> that frog is going to bang Roddy Piper. Nope, she's <laughs> just one horny toad. <laughs> Justin Lung just screamed that he's a fucking walrus for so long. He keeps yelling, Kukukachu and shit. It's weird. <laughs> Join me and Matt as we discuss some of the worst of horror every week on the Horror Movie Night Podcast. Listen at HMNPodcast.com. All right, welcome back. We are here to discuss a brand new movie just came out uh, September 18th, so just this past Friday, uh, Antebellum, which we've been anticipating for a while, uh, starring... Uh, the awesome Janelle Monet, and uh, it was cool to see Jenna Malone, uh, Gabri Sidibe, who I didn't know was in this. I was totally I, when her name popped up, I was like, "Hey, cool, fun." I knew that you know we'd have some fun with her, and she delivered. Mm-hmm. Um, Jack Houston, Eric Lang. Uh, we got written by Gerard Bush and Christopher Renz, kind of a uh, writer director team. This is their de- directorial debut, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, Oh, sorry, Lillian is jumping on me. She because she can't hear you talking. She thinks I'm talking to her. No, oh, of course. <laughs> so she keeps jumping up on me. Uh, yeah. So just came out. Um, like I said, September 18th, video on demand. Again, it's kind of like the hunt and um, in the Invisible Man. You know, you're kind of renting it uh, for uh, 
20 bucks or whatever it is. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, yeah. What, what did you think, Joe? Initial, initial thoughts. Um, initially I thought that this was very beautiful and mm-hmm. I thought that it was, um, I thought that I should not have seen a trailer for it. I wish I hadn't seen any trailers for it. Yeah. Because they gave it all away in the trailers. Anyone with, a, well, let's put it this way. Anybody with like, you know, half a brain that knows anything about film, right? <laughs> that could read between the lines of the trailer knew that you were giving it all away in the trailer. Like it was exactly yeah. what I expected. And I, I pretty much watched it just to watch Jonelle Monet like the yeah. entire time. Like, I don't know, I don't know necessarily how effective the film was to me as, as it, on many levels. Um, also again, like I'm a non-back person of color, so I don't like, I feel differently about it in, in very specific ways. Um, uh, than someone else might, might be, but I just like, you know, I enjoyed Janelle Monáe's performance. Gabrielle Sidibe was great. I thought that it was completely spoiled by the trailers. This is this is the reason why. Like as much as I love watching trailers, I also hate watching trailers specifically because of this. Yeah, that's a very. Uh, I, I don't usually have strong opinions like that. So, like right. this, so <laughs> this is a little. This is new to me. No, this, it, this, it's yeah. That's okay. <laughs> have a strong opinion. Um, (laughs) I, you know, I, yeah, as, as the movie was going, I kept thinking it was different things, you know, and kind of questioning like what was going on, you know? So obviously it opens up that tracking shot was very gorgeous and well, like executed. I thought, you know, in the opening credits, obviously, absolutely. You know, obviously it was to set up, you know, this sort of, you know, we're on a plantation and, you know, we're seeing something, we're seeing real American horror happening, um, you know, for very real for, you know, uh, people who were enslaved and, and, and who lived on these plantations and worked on these plantations and the cruelty of the Confederacy and, uh, of white supremacy, you know, so obviously that opening shot, it is juxtaposing this beautiful land and the sky and everything, you know, everything is just gorgeous. And then, you know, paired with, you know, this horror, um, so, you know, kind of sets that up in the beginning. And so obviously the first, I think I, I paused the film when it changed and it was like 40 minutes in, I think 39 mm-hmm. minutes, 40 minutes in. So you, we, we start, the film starts off. We're obviously on some plantation in the South, you know, during the civil war and you're like, okay. And it's 40 minutes of misery. You know, it's very hard to watch. Um, lots of brutality, lots of terrible things happening, like, you know, that we are used to seeing in in these sorts of films. And then, yeah, 40 minutes in, all of a sudden, this main character, it switches to the modern world. And it's like, okay, so she's been dreaming or what's happening? And then, you know, so we have that interlude and then we go back to the plantation. <laughs> And so, to your point, about 10 minutes into watching it, because we were talking about the opening 
part of the film when the woman is running away and it's like she had a gold chain on her neck and a, a septum piercing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So we were kind of looking at that. I'm like, okay, well, that's a little anachronistic. Like, what's going on there? So I turned to Jeffrey and I'm like, I have a, f- I think this is in the modern world. I think this is happening now. And he goes, hmm, yeah, maybe. I was like, yeah, I'm kind of thinking this is like the village. Um, mm-hmm. That's what I think yes. is happening. Mm-hmm. And then at that 40 minute mark, when she like wakes up, I'm like, oh, okay, well, maybe not. Maybe this is a dream. Maybe something supernatural is happening. You know, because they kept that quote up there of like, our ancestors visit us in our dreams so they can see their future. You know, they haunt us in our dreams. Mm-hmm. And I thought, okay, well, maybe this she's related. So this is going to be that kind of story, you know. Um, like Kindred. Kind of akin to Kindred, I was just about to say. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so I was like, okay, cool. But then we discover that that interlude is actually, you know, the pre to how she got. Mm-hmm. Basically, I was my initial thought was correct. That, that some sick group of white people has decided to reenact, um, you know, they're trapping these people and imprisoning them, you know, in, in this, um, horrific, um, scenario. So, (laughs) which I don't know, here's kind of where I'm at. I, I, I liked it. It felt like, um, a long episode of the twilight zone, like, you know, Mm -hmm. from Jordan Peele's new, uh, take on the twilight zone and his, his production, like it kind of felt like that you know, for me. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. I thought there was a lot of interesting things to explore here, which we'll, we'll talk a little bit about. Um, but I kind of was left with like, what was, what was the point? Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, which bothered me because it set up a lot of great discussion. Um, it, but it didn't world build enough. And I also had a hard time once I accepted what was going on and you're thinking, these are people living in the modern world who have been kidnapped and brought to this place. Um, It didn't seem like there were, I mean, it just felt like, wow, there's a lot of people here. I feel like they could easily overpower these people and take their horses and fucking take off. Like she Mm -hmm. does, you know, Mm -hmm. Um, and some of the criticism, the critiques I've been reading. um, And I've I've been trying to find, I, I, I'm not all that, uh, I mean, I mean to say this as a white person, but I, I'm trying not to read a lot of the critique from white people. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Because I, I could see, you know, a, a lot of times I think um, films like this upset white people because we, we, we have a lot of reckoning still to do with our racist selves. <laughs> Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so, you know, they don't want you, you're managing the outrage. It's like, I'm outraged that there's a film about slavery and it's like, cause I'm you know, all of that stuff. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's like, I, I want to read the critiques, you know, from, you know, particularly black women who I think, you know, this film really brutalizes black women. And so it's like, is this really, is this entertainment? You know, um, it was, it was very difficult. Those first 40 minutes were really difficult to watch. You know, there was mm-hmm. a lot of really horrible stuff in it. And when I was thinking in my head that it was, that this was set in modern times, you know, and that whole branding scene, it's like, this is, you know, this is in, insane. I mean, it's insane that it happened at all, of course, obviously, but just it kind of, you know, this real, you know, 
I don't know. I, I just like sitting there thinking about like this person being kidnapped and brought here and these fucking people are reenacting the, these horrors on them. I don't know. It just, it, it added this whole other level, you know, besides watching, uh, you know, a, a biopic or a historical drama about slavery and about, you know, this time period, I don't know. It added like a whole other conversation, you know, and something for me that does feel very like, I do truly believe there are people out there that want to see a return to this mm -hmm, sort of world. Mm -hmm. And so again, to get into the, to get into a little bit of like, what I think is, is the good side about it is that we, we should reckon with that and we should have those difficult conversations, you know, that, that racism is still very much alive and there are plenty of people, white people that believe, you know, black people are inferior to them and should serve them. Um, you know, that, that, that is a very, you know, real thing. And we are kind of living in a time where I could see us reverting, you know, if we allow it to happen, if we stand by idly as these horrors that we're already seeing are progressing, you know, I mean, we just had that story come out about the, you know, the sterilization that's happening in the concentration camps at our border. Like we are there people. So it just felt very immediately terrifying to me in that way. When I thought bigger about it, if I, if I step out of the film itself and just think about what it's saying, um, I think there's a lot of existential dread and horror in it and very real horror for people living today who are in body, who are in black bodies having to walk through this world. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, I agree as well. I, I was just, I was commenting to uh, James about it. And I was just like, what a, what a time for this movie to come out mm -hmm. um, this, you know, in this, in the, in this time. And like, you know, it's just, it's so, uh, to think of it as like, uh, to think of it from like at the very, like at the very, I guess, simplistic explanation for as to why they're all there. It's because they're all like, you know, uppity, <laughs> you know, like I hate to use that word, but it's like, they're no, all the people idea. who have spoken to power and now they're being put in their place. Right. Um, the original place. Um, right, right. And by this sick person who's like, I mean, a senator or something. Cause they were there. Yeah. There were uh, signs that, um, you know, in the end of the film, you see with his name on them and um, uh, when they're um, campaign, when they, when Jenna Monet is fighting, when Veronica is in the car um, and she's like trying to, uh, fight and then her friends are passing by right. you can see a giant sign like a giant mural on a wall mm. that's like re-elect Denton that's and right. I was thinking I wonder and I looked at it and I'm like that seems it's it was very subtle but at the same time like it was like they were making a point to draw your eye there and I'm like oh I wonder if that's the guy and then you know you find out later that it is and yeah um Jenna Malone will never not play that character to me. Like <laughs> that she'll, I, I love, you know, I do enjoy a very like, you know, Jenna Malone as like, you know, evil femme fatale type character. Um, um, I mean, you know, I also joined Jenna Malone and stepmom uh, with Julia Roberts, but 
Yeah, it was, um, it, it was, there were also some things that I, that to me, I thought were like very like heavy handed, like, and, and again, and I think heavy handed from my perspective of looking at things like, um, looking at things as like someone who like watches film and analyzes film or what have you. So like, you know, but again, like this could also be because I, because I also know things, you know, I don't, the, the one thing that I thought was really interesting was like when the, um, the professor, um, I think he's also credited in IMDb as like, his name is Eli, but the professor who's, um, you know, in the very first scene, we see that he loses his, um, his partner. Uh, but then like when he's whistling that tune, um, he's, he's, he's whistling lift every voice and sing, which is the, the black national anthem by James Weldon Johnson. And then he comes, comes back again. And I'm just thinking like, Oh my gosh, like that is very like, I, I, in, in my mind, it's like, I felt like maybe they should have known what he was whistling. But at the same time, if you're that, if you're that much a white supremacist, you would not know what the heck, a, you know what I mean? Like you wouldn't right, know right, what the, right. the black national anthem sounded like. Um, and then like, I think it got me too when she said like, you know, like when she called him professor and I was like, Oh fuck, like that's what they're doing. These are all people who are, you know, who are saying shit. Right. 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 Um, who are important. Um, voices in their communities yeah. to yeah. the movement, capital M, and right. and I and I knew the moment that like when she's doing the Skype call with uh, John Malone's character, and which was just like so, like that call plus like the scene of the picnic at Get Out are like we need to like this is how you do microaggressions like <laughs> like this is how you this is how you write microaggressions. And, um, when she said like, you know, it's a roadmap, like I wrote a roadmap to revolution, like with my book and I'm like, Oh, you just fucked yourself. Cause now like that, that is exactly what, um, that's exactly why you're there now. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and we'll talk a little bit about that. Um, in one second, I did want to say, so the, the team that wrote and directed this, you know, the, um, let me see which general, which guy said because one of them had a dream and that's what this was based on he kind of woke up wrote down you know the dream that he had and then mm -hmm. um they turned it into a film and i thought this was interesting that it was you know redated by the studio for september 18th which is the um anniversary of the fugitive slave act of 1850 it was september 18th 1850 which was the um law that allowed for the capture and return of runaway enslaved people within the territory of the U S. So, cause I don't think that they would bring like the North wouldn't capture and bring people back, but you could come and take people mm -hmm. if, if, you know, um, you want it, <laughs> it's horrible. Uh, so I just thought, I thought that was kind of an interesting, um, cause he's saying it, it's like, uh, fate, you know, that this film <laughs> would kind of be released uh, uh, during that time. Um, and then just because I wanted to put, a, uh, before we got into it, I did want to look a little bit, of, um, I wanted to read a little bit about their mission with the film. 
mm-hmm. the, 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 the directors. Um, Cause they're saying this is from the Los Angeles times. I just think that it's reductive for us to say, well, it's slavery horror. Um, oh wait, this isn't them. This is somebody else. Uh, sorry. Anyways, it's not that what we're talking about here is a new genre bending of historical horror. Um, yes, there's a slavery portion of it, but I think that one should really be looking at is we're experiencing this from the perspective of this black woman and what this world looked like and the casual cruelty that was enabled by this collective agreement. And then obviously that is echoed still in the modern time when she's, um, this, um, at the hotel, like all the aggressions, like the, the desk clerk mm-hmm. answering the phone while she was talking to her, the way they're treated with the table at the restaurant, you know, um, how their white friend is like, I'm having a great time. And they're like, mm-hmm. yeah, of course you are friend. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I thought that was, um, you know, there, there are these, uh, so Monet says, I think this film does a remarkable, remarkable job of connecting the dots from past to present and what the future could look like. We're in the middle of a revolution now, and I'm gr- just grateful to have a film that will keep the conversation going and reminding folks that we're talking about racist policies. A lot of these policies started during that era when our ancestors were stolen. I'm just thankful that Chris and Gerard put together a film that allowed us to humanize the black woman and show on a global level what it's like for black women to dismantle white supremacy and carry that burden on our backs every day. I do think the film does a good job of that. Yeah, um, I think in so a very as well. literal sense and um, um, also in the sort of the abstract. Um, mm-hmm. And then there was something. Uh, Gone with the Wind, for instance. I find that movie to be a horror film and really insulting to black people. I saw a young black woman in an interview a year or two ago, and she was talking about how she always pictured herself as Scarlet, and she said it without even a hint of irony. That's what a job it has done on all of us. And so it was really important to say, well, let's show slavery through the prism of horror, and let's have stunning, breathtaking beauty live in the same space, which makes the horror all that more horrific. Uh, They said that they hunted down the lenses used to shoot it, Gone with the Wind, and mm-hmm. rebuilt our cameras to shoot Antebellum with the same lenses that were used to shoot Gone with the Wind. We were determined to correct the record with the same weaponry that they used to misinform with really effective, beautiful propaganda. Um, which, So to that point, I thought was actually very interesting because I've seen that criticism again from, you know, radical left, where there's that moment where Gabri's character is talking about Janelle's char- Janelle Monet's character's daughter, and that one day she'll be Madam President. And there's a criticism that maybe dreaming of being part of the power structure mm-hmm. in that way maybe isn't ideal. Um, that's like a radical left thing who, who, you know, who would want to see us dismantle the presidency and dismantle the government as it is now and rebuild something new. Because obviously, you know, we can look at the history of America as being you know, imperialistic and we bomb lots of people. Do you really want to proudly lead that? Um, You know, saying I've had that criticism of like the military, like gay people should be allowed to be in the military. Trans people should be allowed to be in the military, obviously, but should we want to, should we want to be part of that structure? Mm -hmm. Um, Is that something to be proud of? And Mm -hmm. so I think that there is um, what he's saying there. If, 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 if young black women watch gone with the wind and they want to be scarlet, what does that say? I, th- I think is kind of an interesting examination of the ways white supremacy, like we've talked about on the show before um, being a colonized person. Yeah. What that exactly. does to your identity. 
I think it's very fascinating. And again, I don't think the film lives up to, I think that's the bigger issue is that it lays the foundation for all these really good conversations, but I'm not sure there was enough world building and enough. I mean, you have to suspend disbelief a lot to make it work. Kind of like with Village. Have you seen The Village? I have seen The Village. Yes. Um, And I, I agree. And again, like, it's just... Cause again, like my mind think my mind plays chess. So it's like, I can't, um, I haven't actually played a game of chess in a while, but like I use that as in terms of like, I think three steps ahead of like a narrative. So to see, to see the, to see that, um, uh, that trailer and, you know, the parts of it where it's just like, oh, she's in, you know, now she's transported into slavery time. And, you know, and, um, yeah, it was, it, it, it took me out of it because it, because overall, like, and don't get me wrong, like, I don't want the listener to think that I didn't enjoy it. Overall, right. I did enjoy it. Like, I, there was something, like you said, there's, there's a beauty and a, and a scale about all of it that is, um, breathtaking, and you have, um, and like it, it, it's, it sucks that like I hate. I, there should be a better word for it, but it, it just sucks that like someone is going to watch this, a white person is going to watch this, and be really affected by it. And it's like, did you, did you really need to see like you know people brutalized in this way? Um, and know that, and like you know that this is a part of our history, but did you need to see it in order for you to you know be? on board with moving forward. And, and that's one thing that I appreciated about like, you know, that again, that connection, that bridging between um, the experiences of those who were enslaved and then the experiences of, you know, of people now. Yeah. Um, I, I noticed something very interesting Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know if you have anything about this, but, um, I don't believe we ever hear the N word the entire film. Yeah, there was, uh, there was a comment. So one of the thing, one of the, uh, other reviews that I pulled, I am tired of films like Antebellum. This is by Angelica Jade Bastien, um, for Vulture. Mm-hmm. And so... We'll start with this first, because I'm tired. I'm tired of pop culture artifacts that render black people as merely black bodies onto which the sins of this ragged country are violently mapped. I'm tired of suffering being the primary lens through which we understand black identity. I'm tired of being so hungry for black joy and black representation that scraps feel like a meal. I'm tired of films about slavery, refusing to acknowledge the interior lives of black women, even as their beings become tools for filmmakers to explore the horrors of the enslaved. I am tired of thin characterization and milk toast social messaging being the kind of representation black folks receive. So uh, this is a very um, damning <laughs> review. Um, the, she thinks that Antebellum reaffirms the horror that it's trying to critique. And there is, let me see, I'm trying to see where she mentioned. Yeah. Um, so, this is about midway through the article, which again, I will post both these articles. The last one, the quotes I was giving were from Bush. We're from, uh, is it Gerard Bush? Gerard Bush, one of the director mm-hmm. writers. So this one, um, so she says that white people in particularly are rendered as caricatures who seem to get an erotic charge from the violence they inflict. 
which isn't necessarily a misguided approach so much as improperly executed, flattening rather than revealing of anything about the nature of whiteness and its emptiness in America. Whiteness is an oft-told lie that powers much of the world, yet antebellum is neither cunning enough nor intellectually ambitious enough to explain such a truth. So the white people have no internal logic, no gravitas. They evoke either they evoke neither fear nor overwhelming hate, mostly just boredom. Um, which actually I was like, I hate these people and I hope she kills them all. So I was very happy with, you know, those mm-hmm. moments. Um, except for Jenna Malone, who comes the closest to striking the necessary chord for foregrounding white women's toxicity. But her performance is, is undone by the odd dishonesty of the film. The N word is never uttered for one. To your point. Um, so yeah, I thought that was sort of sort of interesting that you bring that up because yeah, you would think that these white people who are so like, just, they want, they want to use that word, Mm -hmm. you know, Um, or at least there's no explanation of why it's not uttered. You know what I mean? Like, right. Right. Which again, I mean, I'm fine with not hearing it, you know, and I'm sure plenty of people watching, you know, especially, you know, I would imagine black women, you know, watching this, you know, aren't, you know, going to be like, Oh man, I didn't hear the N word enough. (laughs) Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah but i mean i don't whereas, know, like, you know i yeah. don't speak for anybody really <laughs> whereas like django unchained right like django right. unchained it was like tarantino just couldn't like like painted with such like uh with with all the broad with a broad brush uh the you know his use of the n-word um and like to and to that writer's um, point about like these people are just kind of bored, like that's also terrifying in and of itself because like these are people who are bored, but like they also have like all the power. Like <laughs> they they are the ones who are in this power this position of power. So what does that say? Um, and like you know, there's just like the little the little touches of um the little touches of things like the use of lift every voice and sing as like the mm-hmm. the secret code whistle song um the chanting of blood and soil mm-hmm. which is like under the under the like you know the torchlight which is what was used at Charlottesville like you know that the these these specific touches were where it was just like I get where the I can get why this is I get why you're doing this I get what this is for and but to me it just seemed it was schlocky in that way it was just yeah. like you know let how can we make it how can we invo- imbue this with more symbolism but again like it's for as many ways to me as it was ineffective there were also ways in which it was beautifully effective and yeah. i think it's it's janelle monet's show the entire time right yeah no totally i mean that's the thing it's like i don't want to say it's necessarily bad. again we're gonna keep seeing films like this that are growing out of get out that are growing out of you know this history of black horror and trying to experiment and explore you know more challenging concepts and again i i think that this will lay the foundation for some other writer to be like oh man maybe we could talk a little bit more deeply about this you know they okay. they touched on the surface of things cuz for instance i really i think it's very important that janelle monet's i mean um jenna malone's character uh, what was her name elizabeth who's the daughter right of, of the, the senator. senator and who is helping like she is like i 
picked everybody but you. You know, he had mm-hmm. to have you, um, which is just that idea of like, yeah, this guy is obviously getting off on, um, you know, the suppression of this one woman, you know, like he really wants her, but, but her character. And I just thought that that like, man, we could really explore the ways in which white women have historically upheld white supremacy and the patriarchy. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I, I think that's a very important con- concept and, and conversation to have. And when we're talking about the time as this um, article about the Karen, like the history of the Karen um, confronts the violent history of white womanhood. And I, um, so the historical narrative of white women's victimhood goes back to myths that were constructed during the era of American slavery. Black slaves were posited as sexual threats to the white women, the wives of slave owners. In reality, slave masters were the ones raping their slaves. This ideology, ideology, however, perpetuated the idea that white women who represented the good and moral in American society needed to be protected by white men at all costs thus justifying racial violence towards black men or anyone that posed a threat to their power. Obviously Mm -hmm. that's the themes of, you know, birth of a nation and, um, and where is this from? Uh, this is from time. Um, again, I will post this under, you know, in the notes for people that to read, um, if we're thinking, and this is just about these, you know, these incidents that have happened where white women are calling the police on black men resulting in their deaths or other victimization. If we're thinking about this in a historical context where white women are given the power over black men, that their word will be valued over a black man, that makes it particularly danger- dangerous. And that's the problem, says Dr. April Williams, assistant professor in communications and media at the University of Michigan. Um, white women are positioned as the virtue of society because they hold that position as the mother, as the keepers of virtuosity. All these idea, ideologies that we associate with white motherhood and white women in particular, their, so, their certain role in society gives them power. And when mm-hmm. you couple that with this racist history where white women are afraid of black men and black men are hypersexualized and seen as dangerous, then that's a really a, a volatile combination. Now, how that applies with this film is more about the relationship of women, you know, white women and black women. And so if we go to feminism is for everybody by bell hooks, uh, race and gender, um, she says, um, just because they, White women participated in anti-racist struggle did not mean that they had divested of white supremacy, of notions that they were superior to black females, more informed, better educated, more suited to, quote, lead a movement. Um, In many ways, they were following in the footsteps of their abolitionist ancestors who had demanded that everyone, white women and black people, be given the right to vote. But when faced with the possibility that black males might gain the right to vote while they were denied it on the basis of gender, they chose to ally themselves with men, uniting under the rubric of white supremacy. Uh, Contemporary white females witnessing the militant demand for more rights for black people chose that moment to demand more rights for themselves. Some of these individuals claimed that it was working on behalf of civil rights that made them aware of sexism and sexist oppression. Yet, if this was the whole picture, one might think their newfound political awareness of difference would have carried over into the way they theorized contemporary feminist movement. So, sorry, that's a a lot of what, what I'm trying to get at is that um, sort of like that, you know, second wave feminist idea that mm-hmm. white women got power, you know, in like the eighties and started, you know, kind of breaking through this glass ceiling 
they did not bring black women with them. Mm-hmm. You know, instead they ensconced themselves in the power structures of white men and, you know, use that to better their own lives while trading off, um, is to keep people of color, black men, black women down. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that there, there could be a really, this film could have done a really nice thing with her character to talk, you know, a little bit more about that and the ways that her role is actually extremely important to the the bigger conversation of how white supremacy and and the patriarchy continue to be upheld by this idea that white women need to be protected at all costs. Um, and that mm-hmm. they weaponize that, that belief maliciously and viciously represented in her character. And like we've seen happen now, particularly with white women and black men. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh. <laughs> well, well, you know, so to that, to, to that point, <laughs> uh, to that point, right? Like her death is probably one of the more satisfying things that happen mm-hmm. um, in the, in the film, specifically when like when um, the lasso goes around her neck and forms a noose, I was right. like, Oh my God are we about to see a white woman who, you know, who has falsely, um, who has falsely imprisoned and committed atrocities against black bodies? Are we about to see a white woman be lynched? And, right. and to me, I was like, Oh, this is that, that in and of itself was like a very poetic type of, you know, type of, um, type of death, a uh, type of kill there. Um, I think Which also is still dragging her, you know, on with, cause uh, literally dragging her yeah, is like, on the, is on a horse dragging her through. And then she breaks her neck on the Robert E. Lee Confederate uh, monument. It definitely had its own poetry to it. But yes. I agree. That would have been a very interesting and, um, um, you know, there's, there's a painting or like pictures that go around that show like uh, KKK members being lynched by black mobs. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think that's a very powerful um, statement and that absolutely could have added, you know, a whole other level, oh, yeah. a whole other layer. But continue, um, sorry. I, I appreciate also the, the kind of, uh, the little interstitials during the credits of like the yeah. FBI coming in and all of that. That's the, I, that's something that I appreciated a lot because like, okay, this huge, like, this whole thing for it to the scale of the crime, right? The scale of the deception to have a Senator acting out his like racist, uh, awful fantasy of being a Confederate general and, you know, owning people like this this extreme LARPing. (laughs) Yes, exactly. This very, it's like, um, you know, all of that, like that is really, that to me is very like, the deception is great. Like, you know, this, that in and of itself would be enough to like spark a revolution. Um, So it was actually for me, like, it was like, it was like aftercare, like to see, you know, FBI people interview other, um, others of those imprisoned. And then like the bulldozer come through, like there was that, like, I can't, I needed to see that because um, I don't want to see like a, I don't want to see a sequel. Like we don't need a sequel to Antebellum. Right. Um, we don't need, we don't need any of that. Um, I, I will say also to your point about like, you know, talking about white women and white feminism. Um, I think it's, um, I think we should put in our comments. Um, 
a lovely article by um, our professor TJ Talley um, on uh, asymptomatic lethality, Cooper COVID-19 and the potential for black death um, as a response to uh, the interaction between Amy and Christian Cooper in New York city um, at the park and um, her uh, basically committing an act of terror uh, right. on, a, on, on, a, on a black man. Um, and so, and it also, you know, relates to COVID-19 as well. So we'll make sure to put that in the, in, in the comments as well, yeah, too, because be worth a read. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, there's a lot, there's a lot to unpack. I probably will text you, um, <laughs> as the days go more on. Thoughts. <laughs> more thoughts. Yeah. Um, we kind of packed a lot into this. And again, this is, um, I do want to reiterate, this is a, um, just an initial thoughts review. I've not really done, you know, a mass, you know what I mean? Like a lot of thought. Yeah. I just saw the movie a few hours, basically a few hours ago. Um, you know, you just saw it. This is really just our initial thoughts and, and there is a lot. Oh yeah. I watched it. Then I watched it on Friday night after oh, like, night. like I watched, we, we got dinner, uh, ordered takeout and then I watched it and it was like, just, you know, so like, of course, I, I don't know why, but I, I chose to escape, um, the death of uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg with antebellum um, <laughs> because, you know, I'm not psychically traumatized as much already. Yeah. Um, I do think that people should be very careful with the movie. It, it, there is a lot of hard scenes to watch. Um, and again, I'm not sure how big the payoff is for that. And that's, that's yes. really at the, the root of it is like, what is, what is this film really trying to say? Mm-hmm. Is it, I mean, I feel like it's more akin to like hostile or some, you know, these movies where, you know, somebody's being kidnapped and is at the complete will of another person. And there's just that, oh, that horror, that torture porn aspect of it more than, you know, a really, um, I mean, it is thought provoking. I don't want to say that it's not, it is. I mean, obviously we've talked for 40 minutes about, you know, all of these different things that we see in it, all the potential conversations. So if nothing else, you know, we could have a really great conversation with friends having seen it and, and talking about the ways that we're still seeing the antebellum South be, you know, echoed in today's mm-hmm. culture. Um, in very real ways and in very um, practical ways for people yeah. trying to live their lives in black and brown bodies. And yeah. Also, yeah. was it just me or did they pick the cotton and then they burned it? Well, that like, was one of the things that Jeffrey pointed out. Cause he was like, they're just burning it. So it's like, it's just like, is this just a punishment? Like what is happening? Like, yeah, that's yeah. what looked like was happening that it really, they didn't need it. You know, they were just doing mm-hmm. it to make them do it. Yeah. You know, and, uh, you know, that the, these, these Confederate soldiers, because he mentioned, he's like, this is a retraining camp or something like a, you know, like you come here to, you know, be basically reprogrammed, you know, it, you know, that, that you are enslaved. Um, so when, you know, we were still kind of like, I was going back and forth about what's happening because I kept going, I don't, what is going on in this film, you know, mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. of the different signs to me that it was, um, Happening that, you know, now. It's what it's appeared to be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So within the first few minutes, I was like, yeah, this is definitely about, this is definitely set now. And then that was confirmed as the film went on. But yeah, um, Jeffrey's like, they're just burning it. Like, this is just, what is the fuck is happening? So <laughs> this is <laughs> one of those, one of those signs. So similar, yeah. you know, this is one of those films where I wish that we were able to watch it together. 
yeah. because, you know, we can have these conversations live in person. Um, it, it's, it, it made me long for that time as well. Yeah. So that adds to the trauma. Yeah. Doing. Yeah. There's a lot. Yeah. So I recommend watching it, you know, see it when it's on demand and, you know, quote unquote free, either part of your streaming package or pops up somewhere else. Um, um, and, uh, yeah, I don't know. It was a lot to think about. Yeah. We'll you know. be thinking about it for a long time. Yeah, absolutely. And I look forward to what other films might grow out of it. As, as we've been saying, like, I, I love seeing, you know, the, this new age horror and what it's doing. So, I mean, th- there is, there is value in this film. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's also a lot of just, you know, common horror tropes and, and, um, reaffirmation of, mm-hmm of horrors, real life horrors that maybe weren't as necessary. So anyways, all right. Well, that's a good place to probably stop. Um, As always like rate, subscribe, please leave reviews. If you enjoy what we're doing, Um, miss, miss, miss being in the same room. It's being in the same news, breathing the same air, Joshua. Right, right. Um, but yeah, I hope that you have a good rest of your week and, um, you know, try to take care of yourselves, be kind, and uh, we will see y'all next week. Good night. Fright School is produced by Joshua Napier and Joe Farron. Our intro was edited by Davy Boy Productions. Our logo was designed by Jamie Channel Guzman. Episodes are edited and engineered by Joe Farron. Fright School is produced in terrifyingly beautiful San Diego, California. Listening to the Geekscape Network.